All right. Um, hold the team with me until I get to, uh, until I get through my scripture. I want to say a preface to this message today. Is that all right with everybody? Um, before I read our opening scripture today, I want to take a moment to help set up where we're going and uh, for the remainder of this series that we're beginning today. Um, I want to help us understand the posture and tone in which I will be operating in this series. So right out the gate, I want all of us to know and be sure that this is a series about generosity. Two amens. Perfect. This is a, a series about generosity as we lead up to our 2023 legacy offering. And if you call the well home, you've been around for this, maybe especially if you've been here over the past year. Um, this is a big moment where we, uh, once a year, do a large offering. Everybody comes together. And uh, a lot of the things that we do locally, nationally, and internationally happens because of this offering uh, advancement in our spaces and places. And we'll be talking about some bigger key issues for our church over the next few weeks leading up to our legacy offering. So you hear more about that. But I want to be honest and upfront right out, the, right out the gate. How many of you are like me? You hate bait and switch. Just give me the details straight out the gate. Come on, I don't want to be a used car salesman up here. Come on, is anybody with me? Right, so we're just going to go straight. Um, so we'll be talking about money. We'll be talking about resource. We'll be talking about giving. My hope is that we can be the type of church that leans into conversations like this with faith, expectancy, and above else, a desire to have God shape our thoughts and desires around this issue. I also want to note that I'm going to say some very strong things today and throughout this series. And for the sake of clarity, my desire is to communicate the Bible with conviction and with resolve, and it may feel direct at times. Two people, all right. My hope is that you can hear the heart behind such directness. Also, there'll be moments when we are talking about numbers, when it comes to finances, goals that are ahead of us as a church, and what it will take to do the things that God has for us here at the well. And I'm aware that numbers look different to all of us. What is large for some is small for others and vice versa. My hope is that no matter where we are at on the spectrum, we can all see that we play a vital part and have a part to play in this legacy journey. So with all that said, y'all with me? Yes. Will you give me permission to speak directly and frankly? Yes. All right, so with all that said, Mark chapter four, verses 26 through to 32. It's going to be our piece of scripture today. It might look a little bit different up on the screen because I gave the wrong notes to the team. That's my bad. Mark chapter four, verses 26 to 30 says this, the kingdom of God is like this. Everybody shout this. So Jesus is telling us what the kingdom of God is like. He said, a man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. Come on, somebody. And he said, with that, we can compare the kingdom of God, or what, prob what parable can we use to describe it? And then he goes on, verse 31, he says, it's like a mustard seed that when sown upon the soil is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. So today, as we begin our 
legacy series called Put It in the Dirt. I want to speak to you from this subject today. Barbies, bro sessions, and the fate of a mustard seed. As we look at what Jesus says about the kingdom of God, what it is and how it grows, will you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, it's active, it's powerful, and it has the ability to transform us from the inside out. God, I pray that by your spirit, you would speak to us today. No one needs Jason Parrish's voice. We need your voice. We need your word. So God, if there is in any inoffensive way in me, anything that would stand in the way of the clarity and, and humbleness of your word today, I pray that you would just move me out of the way, God. I humbly submit myself to you during these moments. I pray that you would speak through me, that the church would be encouraged, that we would be matured and strengthened, and that we'd find everything that we need in your word today. We pray all of these things in Jesus' mighty name, and the church shouted. Amen. And the church shouted. <clears throat> Have you ever judged the significance of something according to what it looked like? Come on, can we be honest in church today? One more time, show hands. How many of you have judged something according to what it looked like? All, all of us and the rest of you are liars. Um, so I'm judging you. Uh, no. Um, have you ever judged something by the way it looked, especially because of its size and stature? Come on, guys. You ever sized up another dude as he's standing in front of you in the uh, grocery line? And you're like, I think I could take him. <laughs> Come on, you know what I'm talking about. How many of you would agree with me that the, uh, that the gym is a weird social experiment? How many of you go to the gym just so I know who I'm about to offend? Okay. I remember um, I, we have a gym in our home now. Uh, during COVID, we moved some weights down there so that we didn't have to uh, worry about it and we have no excuses anymore. But I remember when I first stepped into a Gold's gym and uh, I felt quickly out of place. How, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Uh, and so I felt out of place because there's these guys in the gym that do these bro sessions. And all they do is stand around each other and in front of the mirror and they grunt as they do barbells. <laughs> Dumbbells, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Ugh! Ugh! And I'm like, bro, it's 15 pounds, calm down. <laughs> you can give yourself an aneurysm, right? <laughs> and, I, and, and, and guys, like how many of you agree with me? We do things in the gym that we would never do anywhere else, okay? Point of fact, how many of you know that you would never, I'm just talking to the guys right now, girls, you may do this as well, so just go with me. But point of fact, you would never walk up to another human being, let alone guys to another guy, walk up and feel their bicep. <laughs> Come on, how many of you know in any other social interaction, that is not, it's not allowed. It's not allowed. But the gym, the gym, you watch grown men some guy's doing, and he walks, oh, touch it? That's weird. We don't do that. And so I've found a fascinating social experiment happening at, at the gym because we like to compare things. I remember growing up, um, there was a lot of commentary and a lot of pushback and still is in our generation with Barbie dolls. I actually never wanted my daughters to play with Barbie dolls. Why? Because how many of you agree with me? There's something inside of us as humans that like to compare and contrast things. 
And so for me, when we were growing up, I remember there's a lot of conversation. You can read articles about it now, especially about females comparing themselves. They didn't like how Barbies were being created and how they were being proportioned and how things were looking. Why? Because there is an epidemic in our generation, but more so in humanity that works really hard to compare and contrast. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We, we, we size ourselves up. We, we look at others and then we, we take on certain things. And for some of us, we take on shame or we, we take on guilt or we take on insecurity or my life doesn't look like this, but there, how many of you know what I'm talking about? And so there's a lot of compare and, and contrast that seems to happen. It happens in all of our social spaces that we find ourselves in. It happens at school. It happens in the workplace. It even happens at church. Come on, somebody. We judge people about how high their hands are. Oh, they must be so holy. I told you we're gonna just go direct to some things, right? Right? We just, some of us are afraid to pray out loud because we don't know old English and don't have a accent. I don't wanna pray. Have you thought this before? I don't have the right words. Come on, there's no such thing as right words. Sometimes you just need to yell, help, come on. <laughs> Why? Because we, we size things up. Some of us feel really insecure coming into church because people come in with their smiles. Their family's all together. Look how beautiful their kids are. Guys, this is a trick. We pay them to sit here quietly. No. <laughs> come on, how many of you agree with me with the big AM? We don't have it all together all the time. Amen. But it happens everywhere we go. Seems to be a part of human nature to size up the significance of something according to how it looks and behaves. This is why we follow celebrities. This is why we put things and people on pedestals. This is why the loudest seems to get all the attention. And this is why someone invented the bedazzler. This is like, this is, this is why we like it big in Texas. Come on. Because the truth is, is that we like it big, we like it broad, we like it famous, and we like it fabulous. This is the truth that we don't like to admit, but we need to face. And this is also what makes Jesus, his kingdom, and the church difficult for us at times. And this was no different for those who followed Jesus, especially those who were about to receive his teaching found here in Mark chapter four. See, those who were surrounding him were composed of a mixed bag of emotions, thoughts, ideas, and ideologies. They are partly discouraged and at the same time, partly excited. They are both downtrodden and hopeful. They are as the theologian Helmut Thyleke would describe them as he writes this, It makes an ultimate difference whether a man looks at the strange enterprise of the Nazarene with the reserve of a sympathetic spectator. This costs nothing. And if the affair gets too hot, he can always bail out on time. Or whether, for example, he has given up his job and staked everything on this one card. This is what actually makes these men around him what they had done. And now, quite understandably, they are asking, what is going to come of it? What will be the outcome? Have you ever thought about that in reference to Jesus? How is this going to work out? That's what these disciples were doing as they stood around Jesus and he's proclaiming certain things. They're asking themselves, how is this going to go? Because he's either a crazy man or he's telling the truth. 
And so it would have been appalling for these disciples and the people standing around for Jesus to compare the kingdom of God to a mustard seed. And that's the problem with seeds, is it not? They are seemingly insignificant and of no consequence. They are average. They blend in and to some degree are vulnerable and fragile. But once planted, they become what they are intended to be and designed for. Maybe that's what was behind Zechariah's question in Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10 when he said, for who despises the day of small things? Yet throughout the Bible, we are constantly met with the reality of a seed. Someone shout seed. And in the ministry and teaching of Jesus, the seed is a constant source of illustration, parable, metaphor, and truth. And this is strange if you think about it, because there's nothing overly special about a seed, is there? Like none of us woke up today and we're like, man, I hope I get a seed in my life. So when talking about a kingdom, it would seem that it would be an inappropriate comparison, especially if you were concerned about the PR campaign for this said kingdom. Because how many of you know, if you're Jesus and you're the disciples and you've already got a lot of people who are sideways about what it is you're doing, comparing a kingdom to a seed doesn't sound very appropriate, does it? Like, like there's nothing grand about like, hey, follow me. I'll show you how to be a part of something that's small and insignificant like a seed. Because Jesus knew human nature. And I think that's the thing about it, and that's what's difficult at times, is that some of us try to dress the kingdom up more than the kingdom should be when we should understand it as a seed and the power and the potential that is in a seed. And when we understand the grandness, when we understand what comes out of that seed, it makes it a whole lot more appropriate. Someone shout seed. The writer of the preacher's commentary has it right as he states this. In the kingdom of God, the hidden is open, natural is supernatural, and small is great. So as we work through this series, put it in the dirt and build our faith and expectation for our legacy offering on March 19th, we will constantly be reminded of the power of a seed because if we're not careful, we can tend to devalue, overlook, underestimate, and doubt the power and purpose of seed in our lives. We will be reminded throughout scripture. Y'all love your Bible? Y'all love your Bible? There's a lot of scripture for you. We're gonna be reminded throughout scripture that Ecclesiastes chapter 11, five through to six, just as you don't know the path of the wind or how bones develop in the womb of a pregnant woman, so also you don't know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed. Someone shout seed. And at evening, do not let your hand rest because you don't know which will succeed, whether one or the other, or if both of them will be good. John chapter 12, verse 24 tells this, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through to 9 says this, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed and each has the role the Lord has given him. I planted, someone shout seed. Seed. Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he whose waters are one and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. Second Corinthians nine, six through to seven. The point is this. Thank you for being clear on it. 
The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. Come on, when was the last time we were cheerful about that? Are you like giddy? <laughs> yes, I get to do this. Said no one ever. Second Corinthians 9, 10 through 12. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. It's a lot of Bible about seeds, isn't it? These, among other portions of scripture, teach us much about seeds and what happens when we put them in the dirt. So by likening the kingdom of heaven to a seed, Jesus works to teach some considerable truths that must be understood concerning the kingdom of God and the economy of God. And this is what I want to spend the remainder of our time talking and taking a look at today and over the course of this series. Before we get into the points, I want you to see this. I'm not going to play around with this, but this is going to be up here for the next few weeks. But how many of you know that that looks awesome right there? But notice Jesus didn't compare the kingdom of God to a jar of mustard seed. Because that's actually pretty extravagant, isn't it? You go, man, there's a, there's a lot of stuff. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. How many of you sitting there listening to him teach that be like, that? is the kingdom of, that's your best analogy, Jesus? That's all you got? And it says that a sower goes and scatters the seed. And there's probably there's more he, he scatters. He scatters the seed, scatters the seed, scatters the seed, scatters the seed. Look at this, I want you to see this. He, he scatters the seed. And then he says the janitorial service hates him for scattering the seed. <laughs> but you would be hard pressed to find some of these seeds. You, get, you gotta look for it sometimes. But we want the, we want the seed, right? Like, like the way I think, we'd like, I want the kingdom of God to be like a, like a fire hose. That when you stand in front of it, it just melts your face off. <laughs> it's like a seed. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at three truths today that I believe Jesus points out to us found right here in, in Mark chapter 4. And then we're going we're gonna to look at this scripture next week again. And we're going to look at another three ideas that I believe that are found there. So need your help today. Y'all with me so far? Yeah. All right. Everybody shot number one. This is the first truth we need to grapple with today. The kingdom of God, this is what we see right here in Mark chapter 4. The kingdom of God defies what is logical. The kingdom of God defies what is logical. Listen, he sleeps, Mark chapter 4 verse 27. He sleeps and he rises. The, the one who goes out to sow seed, he sleeps and he rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. This is the essence of faith. Faith defies what is logical and makes sense to us. 
I believe that one of the greatest reasons that we do not see God move in more profound ways within our generation is because in our culture, we deny and discount what does not make rational sense. How many of you agree with me? We, we want it to make sense. We want it to add up. We want to bring math and, and science and, and geometry and, 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 and poems and all kinds of brackets to, to faith. And can I just tell you today, just as a good old faith preacher in me, I need to be able to tell us that faith doesn't make sense. I do not know at times why God decides to heal here and not heal there. I don't know why God deems it appropriate to put men in the belly of whales, to have large bo boats float across the world as it's submerged in water. I don't understand why blind eyes are open. I don't understand why leprosy disappears. And I don't always rationally understand how a dead man after three days got up out of the grave. But here's what I do understand. By faith, I believe it. By faith, I engage it. By faith, I understand that the kingdom is a mustard seed. I don't know how it works at times. We are the product of humanist thinking and the revolution of the Enlightenment. Abhijit Nascar, writer of the author of Rowdy Buddha, the First Sapiens, it's a book, <laughs> said it like this. Listen to this. Rationality attracts conscientious humans where mysticism attracts fools. That's people's critique of the church. That's foolish to be faith-filled. So we look for what's rational. Easy to grab a hold of. We look, we, we look at, at trying to be able to, to wrap our minds around it. This, this doesn't add up, so I need to make it add up. One of the reasons many of us struggle with Jesus, we struggle with the idea of faith, is because we can't add Jesus up. And we definitely can't add up his kingdom because it doesn't make sense when he says the kingdom is like a mustard seed. Y'all tracking with me so far? This is the essence and prevailing thought of our modern culture. It is disbelief in the name of intellect, rationale, and concrete facts that cause us to, to deny the miraculous power of faith in that which we do not understand and cannot comprehend at times. And it's not new. Matthew chapter 13 captures the same structural teaching from Jesus as we see in Mark chapter 4. Listen to what he says. He presented another parable to him. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that, that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky can come and nest in its branches. Then he told them another parable saying the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until it was all leaven. Jesus is then going to continue this teaching of the kingdom of God. Then we get into Matthew chapter 13, verses 53 to 58 in what is probably one of the most indicting pieces of scripture concerning our need for what is logical and for things to fit into our nice, clean human boxes. Watch this. Matthew chapter 13, verse 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, he left there. Parables about the kingdom of God. And he went to his hometown. Every shout hometown. hometown. Every shout hometown. hometown. And he began to teach them in their synagogue. 
so that they were astonished. I want you to watch how this works out. They were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Isn't this, here they go. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and, and, and Judas? Isn't he just a middle-class worker? Isn't he a part of that family that just runs around and kind of does things that are a little chaotic at times? And his sisters, aren't they all with us? So where does he get all these things? And they were offended by him. And this is what Jesus says. He says, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. There would be a lot of commentators and theologians, while God is sovereign, does what he wants to do when he wants to do it. There is a lot of commentary around here because we have a very clear indication that Jesus was either unwilling or didn't want to because there was no faith. Are y'all tracking with me so far? So he goes on, they were astonished. They saw it, they were astonished at all of this stuff, yet they, they, they rationalized it. They got it to his face. Wait a second, isn't that Jesus? Isn't that just Devon? How does he stand up there and lead that way? Isn't that just Devon? He, like, he grew up in Utah. He's just a, he's just a down, homegrown guy from Utah. What's, what's he got to do up there? Nothing, is what they'd say about Jesus. Nothing good comes out of Utah. Come on, somebody. They got no football team. They got no basketball team. I'm just playing. <laughs> but they got soccer. Um, think about it. He could, do, he could do no miracles. You know, if I'm honest, much of what is happening around here at the well doesn't make sense when I look at it logically. It, it makes no sense. Like sometimes I'm like, why are you all still here? Why is this person here? It doesn't, make, it doesn't make sense. What happened in our first service just a little while ago doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense why God is beauty, building this beautiful tapestry of people right here at the well in Sandy, Utah. Come on, somebody. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. There's so many things that don't make sense to me. It does not make sense, nor is it logical to forgive. It doesn't make sense, nor is it logical to, to worship. It's not logical to pray. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical or rational to read God's word. It's not logical to trust what I cannot see. Come on, it's faith. There's nothing logical about preparing to give in an offering for a future that we cannot see, but only through the eyes of faith. It's not logical when we are talking about debt ceilings and interest rates and wars and balloons floating around. <laughs> but here's the thing about the kingdom of God. It never looks logical. <laughs> Come on, somebody. L listen, if you want to take a praise break, take a praise break. It does not look logical. Come on, the kingdom of God is like a, it's a mustard seed. It's a mustard seed. 
mustard seed. I'm going to stop, Dad, just so you know. <laughs> Faith doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense for a bunch of people to move here and plant this thing 10 years ago. It doesn't make sense for all of you to become part of the family that's, that's being built here. It doesn't, nothing makes sense. So we shout faith. faith. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, faith don't make sense. Doesn't make sense. So that's the first truth we got to wrestle with when it comes to faith is we got to understand that it's not logical. It, it, it doesn't make sense. How many of you, how many of you agree with me, but God is going to ask us to do things that don't make sense. Right. It did not make sense for Jesus to ask Peter to come out of the boat and walk on water. Right. Like I got to be honest, I would think through that for a moment. <laughs> right? It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So here's the second thing that we need to understand that I believe that we're taught right here in this piece of scripture. Number two, every shot number two. Here's the second thing. The kingdom of God resists our need for control. The kingdom of God resists our need for control. Okay, everybody say buckle your seatbelts. We're going to go in deep on some stuff here, okay? Mark chapter four, verse 28 says this. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, and then the full grain of the head. See, another great issue that we face, especially in our Western context, is that we like to control things. We want everything to be nice and neat. We want ease and and structure, and we want to know that everything is safe, and nothing will go wrong. That's the cry of a generation right now, and a culture right now, is we want safe things. I love what was said in C.S. Lewis's the, uh, the, the Chronicles of Narnia. He's good, but he's not safe. Right. And the reason some of us are going to struggle following God is because he will lead us into unsafe places. Right. He will lead us onto foreign mission fields, and he will leave us, lead us into other states. He will lead you to certain colleges, even though you don't want to go to that one. He's going to lead you into certain professions and certain workplaces. He's going to lead you into adopting and, and fostering. He's going to lead you into all kinds of different places and spaces. He's going to lead you into marriage or he's going to lead you into singleness. Can I tell you, friend, that God is sovereign and he will lead you into unsafe places? Amen. Why? Because it's going to test your faith. It ain't clean. Because the kingdom of heaven defies our need to control things. This is why sowing seeds is a very difficult notion for many of us. Because we believe we are better with seeds than God is. That is why when we go back to what Paul said in Corinthians, that one sows, one waters, but only God gives the increase. We freak out about that. And the reason, check this out, the reason that Paul is writing these things is because you had a community of people who were getting really excited about Paul and Apollos and ignoring God. Why? Because we have a tendency to think that humans are better with seeds than God is. You see, when we put the seed in the dirt, this is why Jesus says in the soil produces it, when we put the seed in the dirt, we are releasing control to the one who is ultimately in control and controls all things. Are y'all tracking with me today? This is why, this is what Jesus was saying when he said that it produces a crop by itself. And the reality is that many of us struggle with the kingdom of God because we cannot control or manage the kingdom of God. You're like, God, this is my prayer. God, maybe we've prayed this before. God, 
We should do something miraculous. But can you please tell me when and how and why you're going to do it? Come on, am I talking to anybody in church? <laughs> you, ever, you ever been there before? Actually, can I, appendage to the prayer, God. Appendices A. Can I manage it? Can you just give me all the, actually, can you just give me all of the necessary for this miracle in this moment and then I'll do it myself. The kingdom of heaven is like a seed that is sown. That prayer, come on church. This is why people freaked out when he said, the, y'all see what I'm talking about here? This was offensive because how many of you know that kingdoms don't look like that? Kingdoms come in with fanfare and vibra- like bravado and like a bunch of bros in the gym, <laughs> sizing each other up. It looks a certain way. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, we're gonna, we're gonna push it a little bit more. I'm gonna say this, somebody needs to write this down or just really hear it deep today. Control is just another way of saying that we do not trust God. And this is what the disciples were dealing with. Mark chapter 14, here, I'll prove it now. Mark chapter 14, verses three to nine. Is this okay with everybody today? Mark chapter 14, verses three to nine, this is the ESV version. It says this, and while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment and pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Can we just stop there for a second? How many of you would agree with me that is a weird dinner party? (laughs) How many of you would start to rationalize this moment? Come on. How many of you would start to think, man, this this is different. I've never seen this before. I wonder how Jesus is feeling. Because he just got a bunch of stuff, perfume de nard poured over him. She broke the flask. There's, there's sharp space, like sharp things. Everybody move the kids. Nobody's going to get hurt. This is strange. Verse four, there were some who said to themselves indignantly. I love the language of, the, of scripture. Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this, now here comes the idealism. Here comes the altruism. Here comes the high bar view on things. Watch what, here's, here comes the, the rationale. Here comes the control. Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. Gosh, that tweets well, doesn't it? This was the disciples. Guys. Somebody needs to tell this woman what she could have really done with that. Because we are better. We are better at doing things with seeds than Jesus is. We could have done something better, guys. In another portion of this, you find this, you find this exact story. You'll find it in Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of them. And it's very interesting. And one of the... One of the uh, 
One of the captures of this says that Judas was furious. I'm paraphrasing right now. He was indignant. He was mad. And this is why Judas was mad, because he was skimming off the top of all the finances anyways. So he gets indignant. We could have used that for, we could have used that for so much more. And Judas is like, yeah, like, like poor people and me. <laughs> oh. And it was given to the, could have been given to the poor. And they scolded her. Now Jesus comes in. Man, I want to be there. I'll be a fly in, a fly in the ointment. <laughs> Said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. And then Jesus says something outlandish again. He says, for you will always have the poor with you. Come on, can we read scripture together, guys? You're, you're always going to have these issues. You're always going to have these things. This side of heaven, you are always going to deal with a non-utopian reality. Wow. Wow. Why? Because, well, the kingdom's like a seed scattered, and it, and, it, and it takes root, and it takes some time to grow and to flourish, but it's a, it's a seed. You're going to have all of these issues. This side of heaven, come on, someone say this side of heaven. You're going to have things still. You'll always have the poor with you. And then listen to what he, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I need you to draw in with me here, okay? And whenever you want, you can do good for them. <laughs> Sometimes we don't stop to see the words that Jesus was saying. Whenever you want, you can do things. But what we have a tendency to do is that like the disciples, the disciples were judging this woman for her gift so that they could distance themselves from the dysfunction in their heart. It's really easy to say, man, we could have done with that expensive, we could have done all kinds of different things. And Jesus is like, you can do all kinds of things all the time, why don't you? Come on, can we get an amen in church today? That, that's exactly what he's saying. He's saying, you have the ability to do this all the time, so why are you judging this woman for her gift? Why are you judging this woman for this, this lavish moment that she, she poured out everything that she had? You can do what you want with the things that I've set course for you to do. You can do it any time. You don't need another initiative by the church. You can go downtown right now and give people sandwiches and blankets and hugs and you can sit with them. Come on, somebody. And truly I say to you, whenever, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, this is verse nine, in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Their desire to feed and clothe the poor was relegated to a distant third behind this woman's desire to worship her king. My friend John Tyson, lead pastor of the church of the city, New York, said it like this. None of the disciples understood 
when the, women, when the woman broke the bottle and poured it over Jesus' head. Everyone thought there was a better use for it. Jesus defended her. Then he goes on to say this, listen to this. Devotion often offends people who only know how to control faith. My goodness. I read that this week and I about lost everything. Think about devotion often offends people who only know how to control faith. See, devotion will cause us to do things that are at times uncomfortable, unmeasured, and cynical to the eye. It doesn't make sense to the ones who want to control it. See, the other danger that we face when it comes to the issue of control is that we begin to set up false dichotomies. Here we go. In order to push away from what is really in our minds and hearts concerning Jesus and his kingdom. False dichotomies are used to set things against each other, usually favoring our own preference and desires, and usually never rooted in facts or truth. That is what the disciples did with the woman in the perfume that she used to pour over Jesus' head. They created a false dichotomy between their altruism and idealism and her worship and devotion to Jesus. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? To the point of making her act of worship seem wrong and defiled. Jesus, I want you to see that. Their altruism and their idealism was set up against her worship and devotion. And they did it in such a way that they made her devotion and worship actually look morally wrong as opposed to their desire to feed the poor. They set one up against the other. And this is what's happening in our generation right now. We are controlling, we're trying to control the kingdom of God and we put it into one box or the other box. We put it in this box and we put it in that box. And usually the box is built with walls of preference. Less claps on that one. Jesus defended her. He called out the disciples' motives and sideways thinking concerning what had just happened. I wanna, I'm gonna dig deeper now, okay? Like I said, please remember my qualifier at the beginning of this message. My heart is to be your pastor today. I wanna dig in a little bit deeper. I've never done this before, but I just want you to see how prevalent this is now. I came across these two tweets this week. Both these tweets were from the same person. This is what sent me into spiral land. Just so you know, I did not sin and I did not comment back, okay? Both from the same person regarding what we are seeing take place in Asbury right now. And if you don't know what's taking place, a student chapel on a college campus has been in prayer and worship for the past week or so with no signs of stopping. Worship, prayer, teaching, repenting the presence of God. So with that, is the backdrop. I want you to see these two tweets. They are in order. Watch this. That going to come up, guys? No screens, movie clips, fancy lights, fog machines, stage props, production meetings, planning centers for the worship team. Shout out. <laughs> Branding, promotional strategies are big names. Just a lot of the Holy Spirit, gospel, scripture, confession, and repentance. Two things I've been saying for a while. Gen Z is not impressed with pretense. Number two, this is a great reminder, stick to what has worked for 2,000 years. Now, some of us will look at this tweet and we'll go, yeah, good. And I even looked at this tweet and thought for like, should I get rid of the lights? Should I get rid of the, the should the screens go? 
Should we turn off the air conditioning? Should we get rid of the heater? Because that'll really prove whether this tweet is true or not. Should we get rid of the building? <laughs> it's getting quiet in church today. Okay, y'all see, this, y'all see this tweet right here? Tweet number two, same person. Us, Lord, send us revival. God, here you go. Us, here's my list of concerns, critiques, and cautions about it. You just critiqued it and cautioned it a week earlier. I'm not mad at him. I get what's going on here. I use this as a very strong illustration for we like to control things. It's false dichotomies rooted in some sort of altruistic and idealistic preference. The second tweet is a critique of the onslaught of opinions, etc., that have been leveled by Christians as to what is happening in Asbury right now. Can I just say this? God is well able to control and deal with with the things he starts. The challenging part of this is that many of us have said things or think things like this. We put God in the box of our preference or false dichotomy because of our need for control and cleanliness. Can I just say this to us today? God is or is not moving because of lights. God is or is not moving because of stages. God is or is not moving because of screens. God is or is not moving because of buildings and classes and programs. God moves where there is faith, hunger, and desperation. We say God is not moving because the lights are distracting when really it's because of the unrepented sin in us. We say God is not moving because the screen is a distraction and not needed when really it's because we refuse to give our spouse who is sitting right next to us. We say that we could experience God if it wasn't such a show on Sunday morning when really we care more about what someone next to us thinks about us raising our hands during worship. We would say God would move more if this was not such a big church, failing to admit that we've looked at our phone four times now to check the time because I want to get onto the mountain so I don't miss the powder. Preferences and false dichotomies most of the time is our way of distancing ourselves from what's really going on inside of our hearts. I want to control my life and my faith, and I want to control a move of God. I humbly submit this to us today because my concern is as this generation progresses the way that we are, we are progressing our way out of faith. We're, pro- we're progressing our way out of seeds. We're going to remove organic truth for manufactured truth. We're gonna remove 2,000 plus years of orthodoxy for TikTok theology. The kingdom of heaven is like a sea. I want you to hear my heart behind this today. 
We've got to examine where we are at in our hearts with these things. I can tell you faithfully that during this series, Erica and I are already postured in the space saying, God, tell us what you want us to do. We've been doing it for many, many years of our life. Faithfully saying, God, how do we first and foremost follow you? And how do I use the seeds that you've given me to do what you're asking me to do? Come on, somebody. Now I want to balance it. Do I think that all these things are needed at the end of the day? No. Kingdom of God doesn't need nothing from us. It, it really comes down to it. Just like that. My question is you is can you be desperate and hungry? And full of faith. I'll tell you what. If, you, if you're sitting in here today and you've been praying for 20 years, and I know that some of us have, to see God do something special in this generation, to do something miraculous, in the, just to do something that was revival-oriented, I want to dare you to show up every single weekend with passion, hunger, expectancy, and faith. I dare you. As we used to say in the 90s, I triple dog dare you. I dare you to show up that way. I dare you to show up to your workplace instead of dragging in, kind of tired, not wanting to be there. I, I dare you to be, to be prayer filled, having been in your scripture, having been worshiping as you step into that place and you say, God, I'm here because you've sent me here. Not because I'm collecting a paycheck, but I am a missionary in my workplace. Come on, Pastor. Come on, somebody. College students, I dare you not to just show up to class, but you show up to your pulpit in that classroom. You realize that your life is a sweet-smelling sacrifice unto Jesus. Why? Because the kingdom of God is like a seed. And that's how some of us look. You're like, wait a second, what, what am I? You're a seed. You are a tiny, insignificant seed that when planted at the University of Utah, takes root, grows, flourishes, so the birds of the air can nest in its branches. Woo, if we could get that revelation. Come on, am I talking to anybody in church today? All right, last point, I promise you. Number three, everybody shout number three. Here's the third thing. The kingdom of God requires my participation. Mark chapter four, verse 26, the kingdom of God is like this. He said, it's a man who scattered seed on the ground. So somebody did something. Mark chapter four, verse 29, as soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. There's a very important Greek word that is used here in verse 29. I want you to see this. I I saw this the other day as I was studying this out and I was blown away. I I love this. Look at the word that is used for sins. It's the Greek word, Throw it up, guys. Do we have that one? Nope. We don't have that one. This is the, this, the Greek word that's used here is a, a, a posatello or apostle, meaning one sent out. See, what we must see and recognize is that God uses willing and ready vessels for his work in both sowing and reaping. He doesn't use critiquing vessels. He doesn't use high and mighty vessels. He doesn't use prideful vessels. He doesn't use ego-driven vessels. He sends us out as 
a sent one. That's what apostle means, sent out. That means he sent Dr. Lori out. She was in Indonesia this last two weeks. Yep, two weeks ministering to people in Indonesia. Come on, somebody. I love it. But that's awesome. She was in, but guess where, guess where Uche was sent out? University of Utah. Working on his PhD. Let's go. He, he was sent out. Apostatella, sent out. It'd be easy to go like, well, that's just the University of Utah. Man, but Dr. Lori, Indonesia. What are you talking about? Right. Kingdom of God's like a seed. Yeah. Come on. Come on. And some of you were sent out to T-Mobile. Because yeah. <laughs> they need help. And some of you were sent out to law offices. And some of you were sent out to doctor's offices and dentist offices and banks. You were sent out to the living room of your own home with your three kids. Apostle. Y'all, y'all see what I'm talking about here? The kingdom of heaven is like a seed that when planted, we wait. But I wonder if we could be people of faith. Like, on, okay, it's been sown. Now, I'm, 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 I'm waiting. life shooting up. God, look, look. Look at the seed right in the middle of the Salt Lake Valley. Look what God's doing. Look what he's doing. Oh, but it's small. Doesn't matter. It's growing to something. And I'm not talking about the well right now. I'm talking to what the kingdom is doing when we don't see it. And we wonder why people are flocking to Utah right now. We don't know what the kingdom of God is doing. Why they're moving here in droves and why, and we can go, oh, well, that's because of the economy or that's because of this or that's because of that or they just don't like the mountains. Can I tell you that God is so much bigger than our rational mind about things. God is wanting to do something in this state. Come on, he's wanting to do something in this valley that is significant, but it starts as a... A seat. And here's the important truth we gotta grab a hold of with this, with this thought today. Formation is the product of participation. God asked for our participation because that's the place where the greatest degree of formation takes place in our lives. Without our participation, it's just theory. And that's where many of our faith journeys are at right now. They're just theories. Faith moves beyond theory to formation when there's participation in what God has for us to do. And I'm believing for many of us, this series and this moment is going to be one of the most significant moments in the process of spiritual formation that we are gonna do this year. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen, amen, amen.
Come on, if you believe it today, can we give God praise in this moment? Come on. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And but for many of us in this room today, we have to come to this realization that our participation first starts with saying yes to Jesus. And as a seed of faith is planted in our hearts, it begins to grow. Some of us have been standing back distant, trying to figure out this whole Jesus thing. And today I wanna to invite you into the journey of faith. I wanna invite you into saying yes to Jesus. I wanna invite you into receiving the gift of grace, salvation, and eternity. For many of us in this room, we've prayed this prayer already and we've said yes to Jesus, but for others of us today, we need to stop and we need to step back and we need to say, hey, I need to say yes to Jesus. And if that's you today, make this your prayer. We're all gonna pray it out loud today so we don't leave anybody out. But if you're one of those people today and you're saying, man, I need to say yes to Jesus, make this your prayer today. Come on, as loud as we can, would you just repeat this after me? Everybody say, Jesus, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my past. I'm giving you my right now. And I'm putting my future in your hands. Save me, change me, and make me new. And I declare in this moment, that I'm gonna follow you all the days of my life. Today, I am relinquishing control and I'm saying, lead my life, Jesus. Thank you for salvation through you. In Jesus' name, with every head bowed and every eye closed and no one